0: The experience of, of so-called think globally, act locally, um, if that's possible, why is that so hard? It seems so simple.
1: I think people get overwhelmed and they feel like I'm already left behind, you know, or they feel a sense of, yeah, of defeat. And again, I think also people don't naturally associate these kinds of acts as relationship, right? They don't see that, you know, in it, it's it's relationship centered community comes out of relationships and so maybe there are folks who they don't feel connected to a community yet or they haven't had the opportunity or they're waiting you know to be found or reached out to yeah it it just like it can take a moment just as quickly as you know being turned on to like a new product that's being you know shipped at you or yeah and uh, people are selfish that's also our nature right like it's it's hard enough To contend with your own individual life you know but then the idea of being asked to make so much space for other people's lives you know that's a that's the battle of humanity since the beginning
0: this is uncommon good the podcast where we chat to ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity my name is Paulie Reese, fam, I am delighted to bring to you Siobhan Sung. She is a producer at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts in New York City. And before that, she worked as a professional opera singer. Here's your content warning for this episode. We talk about trauma, COVID, natural disasters. We have a discussion of anti-Asian racism, and there is explicit language in this episode. More in detail. We talk about emotional labor of Korean identity, the challenges of being a professional musician in the age of AI and streaming, the history of white supremacy in classical music performance, and how we can make the work more inclusive, the recent increases in natural disasters and COVID-related collective trauma, the philosophy of beauty and its importance to the human spirit, and, of course, the Yankees and the Phillies. I was delighted to have this chat to a new good friend and a beloved collaborator. Please enjoy my chat to Siobhan. So I I do have a bit of a confession. While I was doing my grocery run here just about an hour ago, I was listening to a wonderful YouTube recording of a recital of yours from oh back gosh. in 2020. Oh, it and, was like in the
1: church yeah. basement.
0: And you and your uh, your accompanist performed wc uh, beautifully.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Is that a personal favorite composer for for you? Like it certainly fits your voice like your your tessitura wonderfully.
1: Yeah, I love French rep mm. I think that French rep is it's like demanding. It's really demanding in a particular way, and yeah, I think WC's is beautiful. And beyond that, yeah, the pianist Marion, they had really, really responded to that piece.
0: For me, it's length of phrases, it's the color, the 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 emotion of it, of a WC piece that you have to you have to be willing to just fully commit to in order for it to be to 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 be listenable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think not to get like super pedagogical about it but i think you know french repertoire there's so much particular style that's baked into that music just just to serve the language properly right <laughs> like the kind of phrases and the cadence you yeah. can always tell if somebody is singing french repertoire and they they're not comfortable You know, with the language, then the phrases don't sound correct. You know, I guess you know they don't sound natural. Yeah,
0: yeah, it it sounds like a suit and piece.
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so for you, at least my my experience of your of your recital was that it was unhurried. It was a very patient performance. There just felt like this grand luxury of time and delight in in every phrase. What sort of work as an artist? Like for the inner preparation to on these these long phrases that need lots of breath. What sort of like mental state? What sort of mental practice do you cultivate to to make that happen?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be remiss. I'm sure maybe some of your listeners know this about you by now, but probably you're also a vocalist, right? Like that is you true. Yeah. To conservatory, like you've sung in many different you know iterations and ensembles and probably solo and yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to dig and see if i can find some some stuff on youtube (laughs) beyond the
0: things mama always said you you have a a face and also a voice for radio this is this has not been talked about on on the the pod yet but the savvy listener can find a taping of an, an afternoon quiz show of me doing just a really awful like very nervous Couple bars of a uh, Marriage of Figaro.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say yeah. it's, I wouldn't say it's awful, and you can't tell it's nervous. Yeah, we do that. How many people can just like you know, even the even the most practiced individual and the most yeah. like, quote unquote long term professional opera singer, like it's. I don't think it ever is like a natural, easy moment when someone's like, "Hey, can you can we hear something or whatever?" But yeah, kind of going back to your question about like what's the what's the preparation, what's the practice. You know, and I think something that that's been a gift for me with singing mm. is number one, I came to it very late. You know, sure. lots of people who sing classical Western music, they've been singing since they were like a young teenager, maybe even before that. Right. Which is also considered late with, with peers like instrumentalists. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, I came to it when I was like basically 20. Right. It was a long long road to get there it was never a road i intended to get to and so with that the luxury of that is that i was way like less inhibited than my peer yeah. i didn't really care if i sounded bad you know and also i think for me that that the that, that gift that i think i have is you know this very nebulous thing we talk about in voice in vocal practice which is called musicality right and yeah. Yeah. Like I I used to have a coach who would say like some singers, like you, they're like basic gifts and some singers get one if they're lucky. And some singers have like, you know, three, whatever. And that's like, you know, language learning is one, right. And like, one is like supremely good looks, you know, one is like a a stick memory, right? Like, these are kind of these basic gifts that sometimes you identify in your peers. But yeah, for myself, I think I really always had, you know, a, a musicality and yeah. What that what that means for folks who are listening who might not be familiar with that term is like it's like an inherent sense of like style, feeling, delivery, mm-hmm. emotional connection. So really like any piece that I had ever sung or like practiced, you know, even if it was never performed, I always, you know, respond primarily to the text because mm-hmm. that's the great privilege of a vocalist, right? Is like 99% of the time we have privilege of text no other musician gets that and uh, that really informs like the feeling and if I'm singing with it a true feeling carrying that responsibility I think the that the body just sort of follows it right like if you're singing something that's like ethereal and poetic and you're in that space yes your body just responds to that right it doesn't gear up in the same way like if you're singing like a revenge aria or if you're singing you know like something completely not programmatic and more, Ranked. you know, experimental or whatever.
0: Which are also fun and in their own way.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, with musicality, what I hear you saying is you just feel it.
1: Yes, yeah. And I know that's kind of like an asshole thing to say. I think it's tied, you know, again, this thing that we hear and experience a lot is like, as a vocalist, your instrument is hidden, right? It's like innate inside you, your body. It's so inextricably linked to your feelings. And that's why you can feel so bad about yourself when your voice isn't like doing what you wanted to do or whatever. Yes, But yeah, like for me, again, it was just like a great gift that I'm a sensitive person. And I've always been that way. And my intuition has been sharpened through a variety of different experiences and that intuition yeah has made more space for that that musical sense
0: intuition is like a really good call for it and the the different sorts of things in our past that help us cultivate that 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 sense of that, that that sixth sense what it is can you point to would you be comfortable sharing any moments like from the history of Siobhan, that stand out as moments that helped cultivate the sense of intuition and and musicality?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm like, how many minutes in are we to talk about like family trauma already? You know, but I think, I think honestly, you know, I grew up in a household where a lot of responsibility was placed on my shoulders Mm. to metabolize like emotions for my parents, you know, and I'm an only child or I was an only child for all of my childhood and, you know, only until like relatively Mm. recently in my life. So yeah, I I still identify as an only child mostly. And certainly that was, you know, an appropriate way to describe my childhood. So I think I was kind of socialized that way through my parents and then, yeah, just the constant socialization that happens anyway outside of a home, but you know the idea of like cultural cultural influence yeah. having a background that that speaks to different realms of high context right and mm-hmm. so like sociologically you know coming from cultures where it's the demand is quite high for you to to anticipate people's yes. reactions to you or or to to take on the responsibility and burden for, for yeah, navigating their emotional scape, yeah. That was really impressed upon me super early as something that would make me an obedient child or a good child or an extraordinary student or whatever. And so in some ways, yeah, that undue kind of burden that started so early has yeah. has really primed me to think more about you know, transmission, you know, whether it's in an artistic sense or just an everyday interaction, I still have to sometimes really wrestle with being like overly biased toward the other, the others, like, you know, space and feeling and all that before that of my own, you know, which does make you a better opera singer, I think, you know, sometimes, but
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, premature implied emotional management of others in unreasonable circumstances we clearly could not be Korean at all. That's not at all who we are.
1: I mean, it's just like part of the list, right? Part of that definitely like has that network to like, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the fun things I, I, I think of 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 opera and, and musical performance in like digging into a text, at least for me, because I, I remember my early days at Debussy and early operatic work being an associated male-bodied person and and having a lovely like not quite not quite profundo voice but low enough to where like you could you could pass for that like if it if it's before like 9 a.m in the morning <laughs> you get uh, railroaded in, into certain roles and i i think i remember disappearing into characters being mm-hmm. being a really novel way to sort of release out some of that energy of the emotional Management of others and, and the other, and, and the, the sense of the othering that comes from having to hold other people's shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's kind of anarchic to say, but like it is anarchic to say, but you know, art, right? Art yeah. is manipulative, right? Yes. I think the same Latin root as artifice, you know, like yes. the, what we put on and what we hope to kind of engage with and provoke or invoke you know these things it's like it's a huge part of the process right Mm -hmm. that's why music is so tied to like all all other kinds of manipulation political religious you know healing you know medicine like it's all there it's it's always been there
0: it has a power to communicate even in spite of human limitation
1: yes Yes, mm-hmm. which is, this is kind of like a, a superficial sort of allegory to this, but, you know, I always tell people something, I'm I'm a big Yankees fan. I love baseball, you know, period. And I'm a big fan of, you know, watching a lot of the American League teams play through the regular season. But like yes. some people don't know about Yankees games. It's like they always end with New York, New York, right? If you go to mm. Yankees, see a home game, they play Frank Sinatra's, New York, New York. And when you win, a lot of people sing along. And it's a really powerful thing to be in a stadium with like tens of thousands of people, mm-hmm. sometimes almost 40,000 people singing this song, right? And there are not a lot of other baseball teams that have that kind of musical ritual, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, except for like the national anthem and the take me out to the ball game, you know, at the seventh yes. inning. Or whatever but this thing that really belongs to the identity of a collective yes fantasy, you know so I, I think about that all the time when people talk about the power of song music
0: since we're on the topic of team sport and we're in a, a pro sports season where multiple Philly teams have reached national championship games, I, I need to apologize. Well, thank, thank you. I need to apologize on behalf of my city for um, the behavior of our fans. I'm thinking w- we actually just had the news release that they have doubled the the standard supplies of uh, telephone pole grease? Yes, that are used if if you if you know anything about Philly. so yeah. so the the Phillies were just in the World Series. The Eagles are headed to the Super Bowl. We we when we won the national league, am I saying that correctly? The national league championship. I think I am. I wish I knew. I wish I could speak intelligently about sports. You are. You're doing great. Thank you, vanity. What? Uh, No. When we won um, last week, even before the 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 final score had been had become official, because it was very clear from from early in the game that we were going to win unless we just walked off the field for the end of the 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 last quarter quarter that's right they're called quarters there were already official announcements by the city i think on our on the city of philadelphia's twitter that they were greasing the telephone poles in order to discourage fans to cli- from climbing them and they were and they do this intentionally through the 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 city government social media to be like please please don't. please please just don't like please, <laughs> please please don't do anything stupid like don't make us have to arrest you because we'll have to arrest like all of South Philadelphia and all of Northeast Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. If they can make it through the flipped cars and everything.
0: Exactly. Uh, the, fu- the
1: funny thing is like subsequently on Twitter, right? I, I saw after that was sort of broadcast yeah. all these people, I was really laughing at this is the beauty of Twitter, right? This is like the funny thing. Yeah. All these people came on saying, you know, this is a centuries old Italian tradition. You know, they like provided all these like old photos, like dating back hundreds of years of people climbing poles and like hanging smoked meats, like during celebratory seasons and saying like, it's in our blood, you know, like we're going to do it, like, especially for Italian, you know, and uh, just like ta- speaking to the inevitability through like this, like, yeah, who knows, like yet unverified. Woodcutting pictures of people like climbing poles during harvest <laughs> you know really really just uh i mean i love it i think it's quite romantic yeah. i think people who just find this joy right incredible yes. joy yeah. in anything like fan-based I, yes. I love it i'm always really moved by that even when it's like against yes. morals or like totally not in line with anything i'm interested in, i'm like wow like the dedication the um commitment right like i'm
0: yes i would love to see a fan cam video mashing up the guy who climbed the telephone pole this year to the the party five years ago of them standing on the 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 ritz carlton marquee and it crashing in and then the guy for the same guy five years ago who ate the the horse scat from the mounted division that was one of the the best possible things like that's 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 what tiktok is for if we weren't happy enough with vine that's what tiktok is for
1: rest in peace vine
0: rest in peace vine and quibi and CISO and all that right is broadway world still around i feel like that yeah
1: yeah.
0: i i am uh, this this i I wasn't anticipating this and this i wasn't trying but this actually segues into (laughs) like it's a it's a nice sort of pivot point to one of the things i've been thinking about you you work it, you you work as a line producer for um the Lincoln Center which means for 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 the the layperson that's essentially the producer in charge of the budget other things but but broadly speaking there we are one of the things i've been thinking about is the work that you do to help produce art i want and back in musicology school uh, a walter benjamin essay um the work mm-hmm. of art in the age of mechanical reproduction and 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 how he was just thinking about with the notion of like the, the phonograph, the record player, like how technology is changing the way that people receive, consume, digest art. Yeah. As, as someone for you, whose job it is to work, do the work of helping to create that. and not, not, only, not only that, but creating your own. I wonder if you can reflect with me a little bit about how you see people consuming, enjoying participating in and even creating art in the digital landscape of the now what second third the now third decade of the 21st century what does it feel like for
1: you god what a gigantic question yeah you know it's interesting because i mean first i can speak to the fact that i think it's center for the performing arts is you know is this behemoth institution that yeah yeah That even if people are not aware of the hand that it's had in programming in New York, you know, since like the mid 20th century till now, people are aware of at least the constituents that exist on the campus, you know, that that create art in their in their particular medium, right? So Mm. some of the most well-known constituents on the Lincoln Center campus include, of course, the Metropolitan Opera, the New York City Ballet, the New York Philharmonic, Juilliard School et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That those are just sure. some of them, right. Sure. So first, yeah, I have to acknowledge that because since May of last year, most of my conversations around art, conversations around funding of art, you know, is informed by my full-time job here, right? And then underneath all that, that like drives my exposure to those to those things is like what I like, right? And I, like any other red-blooded American, definitely like, I hate admitting this and I don't know, I shouldn't hate it because it's just, it's just reality. But, you know, I spend a good amount of time looking through TikTok and reels and wondering like, what is it that people are are now like, you know, feening for? Like, what are people interested in? I consume a lot of your media through streaming. You know, and like I spend a bunch of time also like asking myself like what it, what is what am I telling these algorithms about myself? And how much of it is because like yeah, I'm being fed all of this like information, you know, secondarily, mm-hmm. you know, or on a tertiary level or a quaternary level or whatever like through Sure. Pe- young people that I'm like watching their media and reading, you know, continuing to read and then continuing to go to performances. And again, swinging back to the first thing I named, which is like really investigating where is where does the money flow in terms of like yes. technology and the intersection of art, right? Who's being funded? Yes. What kind of art is speaking to those with like the historically deep pockets who've continued to fund art in certain spaces, et cetera. So I tend to have like a rather cynical view, you know, of technology and art intersecting right now because when you have, you know, in the millions and billions of dollars to give to an endowment Mm -hmm. to fund particularly tech technology centric art. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the stuff coming out on the other end is actually what's sustainable, you know, because I think the very culture of technology right now is still about ephemeral, ephemeral, digestible, very quickly digestible and current and urgent things people respond to in like Mm. 30 seconds or less or whatever, right? Maybe even 20 seconds or less, right? And it's still, Mm -hmm. it's not something that can really be, it's not something that can be perfectly qualified, you know, even with people who have teams of folks who study behavioral science or again, can anticipate reactions to whatever, like, even with that, right. There's like so many misses. So for Mm -hmm. me, I am interested in folks who, whose personal research and practice has seen an evolution of like technology grow very incrementally in their Mm. career. I'm not interested in somebody who I might, have never ever heard about having having a career suddenly appear with this giant resource behind them, you know, and and saying like I'm producing this art. I mean, maybe that sounds very judgmental on my end. Maybe maybe it sounds like what I'm saying is like real artists like don't rely on technology, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But I guess I've kind of talked myself into a circle here.
0: There's, I th- I think what I hear is a question of of what of how 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 the artist comes to a place of agency. Yes. Whether that agency is earned over over a, a decades long body of work or or now in the case of the algorithm whether it's unexpectedly earned with a viral video?
1: Yeah, mimicry really, right? Mm. Like in most cases. I wish I could t- I have this I have a friend whose artistic practice like blows me away. She's an incredible. Yeah. I can name her, you know. I'm not going to talk about. Her name's Chris Ruman, K R I S and then last name R U M M A N. Here's the thing about Chris is like, but well, what I can sure. say about Chris is she really intrigues me. Well, first of all, she's just like an amazing person to talk to. I really enjoy my conversations with her. And secondly, her body of work in in a variety of disciplines reflects a very clear threat of identity and investment on her mm. part. And some of those projects that she's ideating or working through, they do engage technology, right? And sometimes technology mm. that already exists in every day, but she's found a way to, I don't want to say like, she's found a way to like really freak it sometimes, you know? I love that. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. And I'm more interested in that kind of methodology as opposed to someone who's bringing something to the table where it's like tech for tech's sake. Right. And it's like this amazing thing does this amazing thing. And it costs this many amazing amounts of dollars to make it do this thing. Right. Like it's like when Oculus kind of came on the scene and mm. tech could really foresee the development of like, I don't know how much I can say these things in your podcast. I'm not sure if these need to get. No, go
0: ahead. That's fine. Like yeah. we're, we're not sponsored by anybody <laughs> as of yet, as of, tape date that being said google come get at me yeah <laughs> come get at siobhan come get at flypaper we'll get there in a minute but like no complaints
1: with oculus it's impressive tech right and it's tech yes. that we've probably been talking about our entire lifetime right yes. whether it's yes. hypotheticals or like fantastical like whatever but then it arrives and then the question is is like still there right like 24 yeah, are you for? yeah. What, how much can you really ask the everyday person to yes. like invest in this piece of machinery that's super cumbersome, even if it wasn't cumbersome, right? Like to put on your head that doesn't consider like accessibility for folks across the board. And yes. then like watch a movie in there. <laughs> I can already do that yes. without that thing or like walk around a, a world, you know, there are, so this is a thing, like, I'm like more of an AR person than a VR sure. person interested in AR. Like, augmentation augmented reality i think that approach is something that's always been in art Mm -hmm. right and this like feverish you know pitch about like making art on some other plane that's like more like super liminal or hyperliminal like Mm -hmm. this this is bullshit to me like i'm just not interested in that so maybe the only maybe the only sort of space in which that activates and excites me is when it's like completely tied to science. Mm. So this may be like antithetical to what I just said, but like, for example, people who study exoplanets, right? Mm. Like these planets that like we will never ever be on in our lifetime or beyond and hypothetically never know enough about in the time and the distance they are away.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And they use a bunch of money and technology to you know hypothesize about these like i support that right and i think that that is also artistic
0: the oculus rift is just a hundred dollars or so more expensive at its current cost than what the 1995 virtual boy by nintendo cost
1: right exactly so it's like
0: and that and that was like 300 dollars like in $300 and 1995 dollars so so what oculus rift is a cup is a couple more like five six hundred i don't know but like
1: right and honestly paulie like from that scope right that yeah. like earlier era of nintendo what excites people more the memory of that i don't think so i think people remember the glove right
0: yeah that's
1: obvious. yeah you know what i mean
0: that that piece number one i think the the other piece is that we're we're messy beings right like we have competing ideas and 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 yens that we hold intention together and i think sometimes we feel like we have to it's it's not okay to hold things in tension when like that's that's just the, a fundamental reality of our existence that i know i shouldn't have a cheeseburger but because i just watched the menu like four times while i was cleaning my house like i can't stop having them
1: but this is an innocent tension right like what for me with the producer brain sure. when i'm considering again billions of dollars being allocated to like mm-hmm. one project that i can't answer the empirical producer question for for so, so for me mm-hmm. the most important question a producer must be able to answer is why does this need to exist yeah you know why does this need to exist in the world right and so yeah i probably my revulsion of that like tension is that if I don't you know sway that you know the the sort of pattern of what gets made and what gets produced is just not accurate and reflective of like the people we are right there's going to be just like countless numbers of artists who could never have those resources or never need to have those resources suddenly not just be seen and like just erased, you know. Their visibility is just gone because of some flashy shit that makes people with a lot of money go like, "Ooh," you know. Yeah.
0: The same. The same two hundred canonized works will continue to get programmed on the same like ten year cycle yeah. of on the same program. ten pages
1: on the in the yeah. same in halls, hallowed halls, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah.
0: Just with some other fancy gimmick.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So, because because we're we're already doing such a good at solving solving the problems of the world, such a good job of solving the problems of the world. We've already talked about the nature of being the non-binarized other, like racial other, and 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 clearly solved that, especially <laughs> as relates to like early, like childhood and early adulthood. What do we, what do we do about is it fair to name it? Can I, can I just say that conventional Western Western stage art be so white? Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. What do we do about the whiteness of it? Yeah. Question? Yeah. So, God, isn't that always the question, right? Like, and I think that we've seen, to no surprise, right, after after some of the really critical questions about how we treat each other or how we acknowledge or shy away from like the systems that shape our country, particularly, you know, it's no surprise that we've seen just like this abundance of guilt, right? Of white guilt, Mm. right? And sometimes white guilt, though, though personally disgusting for me to experience, I can acknowledge that it it does sometimes make a path, right? Even if it's just- Using the door open a little bit, where there's just been like, you know, a veritable marble structure is just holding it shut. And yes. Yeah. So you know, I I am really under I'm under this kind of like kind of punk sensibility where it's like when the door opens even a little bit, like just kick it down, right? Yeah. Like go for it. Like demand the money, take up the space, take advantage of unprecedented space, mm-hmm. right? so i think during this time i'm not here to like you know just praise lincoln center but i can say you know by my existence there right by the sheer ability that i've been given to curate programming under this like new artistic leadership there you know that's a direct result of that time right of people saying oh shoot you know, we're, we're being called in or called out or whatever, you know, we're being called on to respond. And we're going to do that by hiring more people who don't look like the typical people and who don't think like the typical people and who, you know, maybe don't live in the same neighborhoods as like most of the people who come to see our art. So yeah, like, again, you know, we can point to the internet and, and, you know, that's like the mother of tech right as this this time sure. during the pandemic where we saw a huge proliferation of art being made easily and cheaply and you know for example like i was listening to something not long ago that spoke to the fact that like queer comedy really took this huge leap during the pandemic yeah. like even the visibility of like queer writers The fact that you could even think like, oh, there's a show about queer centric themes and I know there's queer writers in that writing room. That's not something we could have said, you know, in 2018, 2019. Right. So, yeah, to like flatten this enormous shadow, right, of like the white institutional presence, it is happening, you know, it's happening through just people showing up. Right people bringing their community into bravely and sometimes like against like all difficulty. Like we can't blame people for not wanting to bring their community into opposition, mm-hmm. into the oppressive space. Right. But mm-hmm. more consistently that that's done, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, like I think force, force is not a bad thing. And I think experiencing something give way because of your will because of your community's willfulness. It's a really magical and revolutionary thing and something that like, I don't think a lot of Americans thought that they would see or have to contend with in their lifetime. And I'm really happy that that we're living in that right now.
0: A common theme among previous guests of the podcast has been our very existence, our presence, and perhaps even our very survival is in an, itself an act of resistance.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, 100%. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as an apolitical other.
0: Mm. What I think I hear in that is that there is a sense of moral authority that is starting to be challenged. There mm-hmm. there's a there's a presumptive moral authority, certainly around around Western Eurocentric classical music the 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 crystallization of the 19th century symphony orchestra and like you know vis-a-vis the era of culminating in the era of mahler etc all, all of which it just represents a particular version of of music that would quickly be become from the the largely public and and perhaps not pedestrian but at least accessible form that it that it was at one point to now this form that is still thought of as being one of the highest forms of of, of music uh, in terms of, of aesthetics and beauty and poshness. I'll I'll even go as far to say, but it's become by and large, highly inaccessible to nearly everyone. I would say even most, uh, most white folks, there, there's not there's there's not an avenue to actual like personal enjoyment outside of the expectation of enjoyment with I'll the say- exception of maybe college students for uh, that rush ticket I don't know
1: right and I'll say this like this is an extremely petty and not nice thing for me to say but something I found like just incredibly hilarious was sure. watching these companies come to that realization during the pandemic because mm. they all, we like tripping over each other, trying to make digital media like, beautiful, beautiful recreations of like what people were missing out on. Right. Like mm. these people thought, oh, I just have to like make people feel like they're back in the hall or back in the theater. But they didn't understand the medium which through which they were trying to do that. And even when they did, quote unquote, successfully do that, nobody watched that shit. Very mm. few people watched it. Even fewer people wanted to pay for it. And I just, I loved that. I thought that was, like, just the most delicious, like, schadenfreude, like, ever. Like, I was like, of course. Like, do you see that now? Like, why would people want that? They need something different. Yeah. You know? And you are tired.
0: On on a personal level, I'll just say both conducting, producing, and then doing the post-production for virtual choir video was exasperating.
1: Of course it was. Because you probably had all (laughs) people telling you, like, this is how it's got to be, and La la yeah. la, And it's just like, no, like, sorry, you cannot take a live experience and try to recreate it somehow through a digital experience. Because yeah. what people want from a digital experience is something that they have, again, agency and engagement within. They don't want to sit in front of a computer and just be like, I'm at the theater. Like, it's not the same thing. And I don't know why people didn't grasp that very fundamental truth.
0: Hmm. Do you think audiences have changed? because we've spent so much time paying attention to digital media which you've identified represents the capacity of the viewer to have a level of agency beyond what we would normally associate with the cinema, the symphony, the ballet. Frankly, most of the stand-up shows that I sit in or, or some of the the long form improv comedy that I that I've coached recently. How how do you see the behaviors, the needs of of audiences changing as as the world starts to open back up?
1: Yeah, I think this answer have audiences changed. I think they are changing more now than they ever were before. Yeah. I think younger people, while maybe in their immediate localities don't have access to the whole breadth of, you know, theatrical experience or artistic experience that they mm. know that they could, right? That it exists. Like, you know, maybe 20 years ago, there's a teenager in a place like, you know, Bloomington, Indiana. That's not a good example because there's like a lot of opera there. Let's just say like some teenager in some very remote, you know, can only piece together based on like past media, of like their idea of seeing, you know, a a performance that's outside of their everyday, you know, access. Sure. It's not the same for a teenager today. You know what I mean? And this idea of like, people being really like globalized and homogenized Mm -hmm. by their by their like social media intake and you know what they're accessing that accessing that way and then you know just sort of this like kind of middle generation also still having that technological facility and the people Mm -hmm. who determined audience behavior or buying practices or subscription practices that's really small now right like those it's like this reverse telescoping effect now, where we're seeing audiences being more populated. And I mean, of course, I'm speaking to this privilege of being in New York City and having a different sure. experience of that. But I can guess, right? I can guess that there are people throughout the country, again, who just have a different different breadth of access that they didn't have before. Yeah,
0: yeah. I uh, my parents still have my my tapes of uh, Jan Hooks and Phil Hartman's era of Saturday Night Live. Mm. rolling around uh, to your point and now of course uh, because of the wonders of an unnamed video streaming service so does everybody else
1: yeah exactly exactly and yeah so i think this entitlement has has been a good thing right the entitlement mm. that has gone out to the world where people are like i should be able to see that i should be able to like access things in retro yeah
0: mm. I it's should be able new, to have new, my new parents' new Netflix password. Uh.
1: Yeah, that another hilarious walk back, right? <laughs> the entire corporation saying like, oh, just kidding. You know, we saw the imminent <laughs> like closing of a door, you know. Oh, no, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to do a, a little bit of a New York speed round. Um, this is a sort of like, what's your favorite or either or round?
1: Mm.
0: Feel free and offer as much as li- or as little explanation as you like. Okay. What's a better day out? A really good Sunday gravy somewhere deep in Staten Island or a Sunday hike wandering the the outbuildings of Governor's
1: Island? Oh my gosh. That's hard. That's hard. I think I don't know if most New Yorkers have been to been to Staten Island. Sorry, Staten Island. And you know, for of course, we have to acknowledge that not everybody calls it gravy too right depending even if you're from an italian american background it's like there's the gravy contingents and then the the sauce contingent you know but yeah for me i would say yeah i'll go to staten island why not seems like a like yeah, a deep deeply freaky place to go governor's island it's a little sanitized i think now you know what happens there people identify with coachella all that <laughs> now ran, now randall's island is a weird place that that place like i think kind of demands a, a visit
0: the thinking about the 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 demise by inflation of the dollar slice mm-hmm. are we losing one of new york's great institutions or was it just really shitty pizza the entire time
1: yeah you know the thing is i have to defend it i i think that is a part of my like new york crest is that the yeah. dollar slice and the pizza that's available here is by and large going to yeah it is better than most of the pizza in the country it is the best (laughs) it is the best bar none you can't tell me anybody else has better pizza we also are proven to have better water here which as we all know you know everything in water (laughs) informs bread you know and and how that Mm -hmm. tastes the reason why we have great bagels right yeah no sorry it'll come back the dollar slice will come back to the true dollar and the quality has remained just as good
0: It'll be like the it'll it'll be the size of a Dorito, but yes, it will it will come back someday. That that <laughs> would be great. I, I I would love that. What is the best touristy attraction that you would actually go to without having to guide someone around to it?
1: Yeah, I think this speaks to like what generation of New Yorker I am. Like mm-hmm. not not necessarily like actual age generation, but. You know, I moved to New York in 2012 and, um, you know, the High Line had been the most anticipated, you know, fixture of the West Side forever. Mm -hmm. And when it was established, like everybody was on there. I mean, people are still on there every single day, but I do think it's it's a beautiful walk. I think that they have featured a lot of great art on the High, High Line. I think the High Line's programming is great. Yeah, it's just gorgeous and it's free. It's free. And even when it's cold, it's nice to be up there. So I think it's always worth how many people go see it.
0: And finally, why is Connecticut?
1: Oh my God. I can't say enough bad things about Connecticut, honestly. I guess like the only thing really holding Connecticut together is is what? Someone's alma mater? A little school that rhymes with Bale? I don't
0: know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, I'm very grateful for my time at Yale Divinity School and the School of Drama and the tutelage (laughs) of Wendell Harrington and and the the myriad number of beautiful people who are creating beautiful art that I happen to now have an email address for from being there. Anyway, no, I I, I will say if there were a place that we're going to have serious content for for a pie that rivals some of the pies that i've had in new york it would be new haven
1: sure like but it's like what how many places is it you know there's like that one famous guy's yeah. place what's his name like they always say you have to stop there it was an anthony bourdain favorite right like it was like an actual place
0: yeah there was frank Pepe's. yep and there yep. there's a there's a few others but so the story i'll tell we, we're all very aware of the devastation caused by hurricane Katrina in 2005 and if you've ever been down to the lower ninth of of that recovery work still remains undone
1: yeah I was in New Orleans after Katrina for volunteer work and it's the only time I've ever seen New Orleans you know which makes me sad because it means I haven't really seen New Orleans right so yeah truly yeah truly devastating sorry you were saying
0: that no but so West Haven, Connecticut, is the same way there's at least at the when I was there in twenty twenty sixteen nearly five years after the impact of Hurricane Sandy, that recovery just same thing like the the there are talks about how from the the rudimentary tagging used to mark houses and and how many people used to live there whether they how how much demolition work had been done so far how badly they'd been been looted that those those sketches and artist renderings were what informed like some of the art in a lot of the the triple a prestige like dystopian uh, universe games of, of the present day looking at you the last of us but um but but there's no to 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 your point Talking about like the Lower Ninth, talking about West Haven, there are these communities that they might not even have less of a tax base, but because some of the basic resources needed to make them livable, like grocery stores, public transit, clean water in some cases, career services and after school programs for children, there's there's just been no recovery. and entire neighborhoods are are, at least when i was there in in, uh, 2021 are are still gone a lot of the failures of our federal
1: government and in many cases that can't recover from yeah real real states of crisis
0: yeah had an uncle who worked from fema and was stationed in puerto rico for for a number of years and i mean it's the same like that that's stupid just utterly disgraceful picture uh, of president orange tossing paper towel rolls is just barely a caricature of the way that places like that are treated on the regular because fema does not have the funding to have the infrastructure to distribute the funding that it actually has access to
1: yeah to our knowledge yeah right
0: fair to to our knowledge fair what that at least i'll i'll say those are the stories anecdotally that i've that i've experienced this is a podcast that's supposed to be positive and informing and insightful.
1: <laughs> it's good in the title. Let's get some good in here.
0: We joke about it and these things are uncomfortable, but that's a part of our stories too, right? Of course, of like course. they're it's a part of the like dealing with the the quiet discomfort I think that so many of us might have just sort of discarded in favor of Netflix or the holistic wellness industry or espresso martini during, during some of the the harder lockdowns. I, I, I think one of the things that we're seeing now is there are now, well, what do we do about this? Like, do we, do we identify the collective trauma, the collective compound trauma that we've all continued to have inflicted upon us, which, which may or may not have been exacerbated by any number of factors, be they municipal, statewide, or, or federal, or, or international for that matter? And how do we as humans live with that, move on or not? from yeah. that. I guess. I wish I have an answer. I don't know. What's your answer?
1: I mean, I, this is going to be like a pretty like kind of Buddhist answer, I guess. I'm not Please. a Buddhist, but you know, the the question of what do we do, right? It's it's quantum, right? It's like that also mm-hmm. includes the question of like what did we do before, right? Mm-hmm. And the very reality is that disaster, yeah, just disaster in in human nature. It's been there our entire lives, whether we knew it or not, right? And now we feel much more of a collective burden of responsibility because we just know it more, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, it's it's a known thing that so many people mm-hmm. studying psychology and sociology and all kinds of humanities, you know, like they talk about the fact that we were not meant to consume like tragedy and information, at the scale and, and level and speed at which we do right now that, you know, like, it's literally mm. like you wake up in the morning and if you look at your phone, you could have like 15 notifications just that you can see, you know, initially about all the shit that happened while you were sleeping, right? Yeah. Like all over the world. And so, you know, again, this is like my kind of Buddhist answer is like, first ac- just accept accept that the world is what it is right mentally accept the present givens because i think the moment that you start with like why and why 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 and now what and what's next is like you know where you're kind of doing yourself a disservice this is speaking as like a person who like really doesn't experience getting dysregulated well and this is not talking about like privilege of like oh i just don't want to know it just means that if you are in the know you know just accept that you cannot answer to everything. Yes. Right. So, you know, again, and then like, I want to move to like the very like late eighties, early nineties kind of thing of like, you know, think global act local. Right. So mm. I really encourage folks to, you know, find how these things tie back to you, be involved in your locality, be involved in mm-hmm. your local organizing and policy making bring bring the issues closer to you instead of like just Mm. despairing so much you know because something that's happening in michigan you know for clean water or the subject of water potability of water for like however many years there's a real through line to the state you live in you know there's going to be even if it's not the same demographic and i think people really are only just now understanding that And feeling like they can have access to something, you know, like here in New York, here, in I live in Manhattan now, but in the borough of Brooklyn, right, which is the biggest borough in New York, thousands and thousands of county committee seats that go empty every year, because people don't know that they can just be on county committee. And then those seats get populated by like crooked ass assembly people who then take that legislation to Albany. You know what I mean? Like, that's just one example is what I'm talking about. is like, there is a place that you can be impacting a beautiful change. And if that means for you, it's like keeping your yard clean, like that's fine, you know? And so, yeah, just, I want people to accept, but not be defeated by the largeness of everything. And really like kind of like just be... Aware of of what is in your capacity right there, you know. And I think through that kind of practice, you know, you do find yourself in positions where you can make a larger impact. Sounds like I'm running for council or something, but you know what I'm saying, yeah.
0: I mean, you you have my vote. Why is that so hard, though? The 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 experience of of so-called think globally, act locally, um, yeah. if that's possible, why is that so hard? It seems so simple.
1: Yeah. I think people underestimate themselves at the same time that they're contending with like our culture, right? This culture that we talked about earlier of like quickly digestible, quick, 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 fast impact, donate now, click the link now, you know, read the article. It only takes four minutes and 27 seconds or whatever, you know, like I think people get overwhelmed and they feel like I'm already left behind, you know, or they feel a sense of, yeah, of defeat. And again, I think also people don't naturally associate these kinds of acts as relationship, right? They don't see that, you know, in it, it's, it's relationship centered. Community comes out of relationships. And so maybe there are folks who they don't feel connected to a community yet, or they haven't had the opportunity or they're waiting, you know, to be found or reached out to. Yeah. it, It just like it can take a moment just as quickly as, you know, being turned on to like a new product that's being, you know, shipped at you, or yeah, and people are selfish. That's also our nature, right? Like it's it's hard enough to contend with your own individual life, you know, but then the idea of being asked to make so much space for other people's lives, you know, that's a that's the battle of humanity since the beginning.
0: What is the where where is the balance between my relationship to self and what I owe myself? the same thing for the other the close circle of the other the philosophical the philosophical concept of humanity and then and then the actual planet we live in yay hooray one of my favorite british comedians um bob mortimer on his response to this i don't fucking know
1: yeah also the outstanding sort of motto of gen z right like yeah i don't know
0: man Z, please come listen to my podcast anyway i want to pivot a little bit one of the things the more time that i spent googling you looking over your your body of work
1: this is killing me. it's so funny because it's like i know it's out there right like we just know that about ourselves that information just gets out there. but sometimes i'm just like i can't believe how much is out there you know like
0: it's it's a lot Google Google doesn't own doesn't yet own my soul, but I feel like we're getting closer and closer to like the Black Mirror dystopian like Juniper Corporation. At some point, you know what I mean? Get back in the writers' room, Charlie Brooker. We need more episodes of Black Mirror because everything has come true already. Please, please, Charlie Brooker, we we need more like prescient prophecy like we need we need to know what to watch out for anyway so so as i was like you know doing 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 a little little bit of work to be ready i was looking over your your performances your your production companies your work with the lincoln center for the performing arts and others and across all of these things i would say that there feels a spirit of entrepreneurial Curiosity because what I discover is you're not just creating art and you're not just you're not just producing art but you're finding ways to both produce your own and then enable others to produce theirs and I wonder if you can tell me am I on to something with your work? If so, where does that drive come from
1: yeah, I not to be reductive and like you know not give myself the credit or whatever which I want to do. I do think that
0: Hey, you must be Korean.
1: To any like really well-adjusted Koreans out there who might hear this, like we're we're so proud of you. We're really proud of you and thank you for being good models.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> you keep being you.
1: You keep being you. Yeah, no, I think that honestly, something that I'm I'm proud to be and you know, you can point to like my Virgo son, you can point <laughs> to like any like thing about me it probably, like, I probably agree with you, is that I have quite an opinion. I have really an opinion on so much. And I think I'm pretty, like, vehement about some of my snobbery. I just think I have good taste. Like, I'll just say it like that. I think I have impeccable taste. I think I have have an intuition for what provokes people, what makes people, Mm -hmm. like, take an extra second, what makes people Mm -hmm. stretch beyond themselves. I think that this is exciting, Mm -hmm. you know, about people you know, period. And I really live for the moment of seeing someone cross through a veil. You know what I mean? Like, I've always been that person that's like, you got to watch this, you got to read this, you got to take a second and see this thing, you know, because I'm so confident at the impact it may have, you know. And so Mm -hmm. when I am producing, it's, it's almost like, I feel like I've left, left some of this behind, which Mm -hmm. I'm glad, but like, Now, when I'm producing something, it's because I am like so in love with it, you know, and I want other people to be in love with it, too. I guess that does make me like a good, you know, like a politician in a sense, right? Like, I think I am a good politician about like what I love. And, you know, when I was a kid, I always found these certain certain things fascinating, like, you know, the idea of a diplomat, the idea Mm. of a missionary, the idea of a cult occult leadership right like this kind of stuff was really fascinating to me because why wouldn't it be you know that you could you could sway a thought that you could sway a spirit that you could redefine an experience for someone right like like drag is like this for me right like drag has this incredible power to recontextualize a song you know a drag performer can just take a song and make it something you never even thought it was in your life before anyway what i mean is like if I'm producing something or making space for someone to produce their own work, it's because I'm endorsing it. It's because it's something that that I myself would have done. Had I, you know, had that person's uh, acumen or resources or time or whatever. It means I looked at something and I saw myself there, you know, and that I saw a moment where people could come together and become a community around a moment. Yeah. Again, very romantic, right? Like I'm really into the romance of of the sway, of the cell, really, right? Yeah. Which is why immediately we talked about, you know, whether you knew these things about me beforehand or not, I promise you we would have talked about opera and the Yankees tonight, you know, because like (laughs) that's, that's, you know, on my crest, right? And they're related. The things that I love all are related and have the same power, I think.
0: What else is on your crest?
1: This is so ridiculous to say. I think beauty, you know, I think the idea of beauty, Mm. the, and what I mean by that is like the uncanniness of beauty. So many things that I get excited about or really hold my attention or grab me or that I'm like talking about is like something uncanny, right? Something that. You know, against all odds, shouldn't exist, or, you know, is producing this effect that you would never, ever, you know, anticipate. This, you know, beauty is a big one. Another one is, I mean, these are all words for the same thing, really, right? Like, I was thinking, like, poetry is one. Yeah, same, same thing. Music, same thing. Yeah. And then there's, like, all these little things that I've loved since I was a kid that are just, like, again, under the same umbrella, like, like how, like just the sheer beauty of certain things. Like, you know, as a kid, I was really obsessed Mm. with like pearlescent soap. I was obsessed with pearlescent, reflective, you know, like iridescent, Mm. something that contains so much and can change like second to second. And, you know, this stuff shows up in random things when you're a kid, you know, it shows up in like, yeah, cleaning products or a soap bubble or the way something's animated in a cartoon, like these kinds of things, like just something that I think I just noticed things. You know, so paying attention, that's on my crust, I think, you know, finding finding a small thing, noticing mm. a small thing and, ele- ele- and not elevating it, but like creating a bigger space around it.
0: Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, nothing else to say, but thank you. The uh, there There's an old media studies philosopher, uh, Barth, comes through and perhaps far too much uh, his essay on the grain of the voice gets quoted. And that comes to mind particularly now as social media becomes increasingly post-human i guess like we talk about whatever it is that makes that makes the way that i i feel he he talks about how artistic expression connects back to like whatever codes it as being distinctively human usually usually is what codes it as Authentic, as opposed to front, and and I, I think what you've just described is like the capacity to to have have a human experience. Any moment and any anything could potentially be that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in like raising the stakes on meaning. You know, like I remember as a kid, like the you know the the first time that I like ever got a camera, like a film camera, and you could buy like black and white film, right? I mean, you can just do that. You've always been able to do that. But as a kid, like, you know, my experience was not seeing black and white photography or sepia photography, right? Like sure. for most kids, I think in America, like in our generation, right? It's color photography. And then, the, yeah, the first time I discovered black and white film, like I was so enthralled, right? And I was like, this is incredible. Like, why did, yeah. why did anyone ever want color? You know, like, and I would just spend so much of the little money I had buying black and white film because everything that came out of the film felt like more dramatic, you know, just more dramatic. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and, and like I would just like pour over photos of my friends and think like, Oh my God, like it just just looked like a different type of person, you know? And like Mm. the meaning of that moment is, is just completely something else. And, you know, you can't really say it's Mm. like, a nostalgia that's calling back to something that I knew or anything like that. But you know what I'm saying? Like I'm interested in just one difference, like creating just a higher stakes meaning, like uh, something that just wasn't there before. Yeah.
0: Something that just wasn't there before. Yeah. We are just about at the end of our time. So Mm -hmm. we have one question left and it's the same question that we ask everybody as we're closing out our time together. And that is what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it?
1: I want the world to be less responsible to its colonized history. I want it to be less white, you know? I want it to look like just more abundant, you know? And more connected. Like I want people to feel less alone and I want people to feel like what they love could be loved by everybody. Yeah, I want world peace, (laughs) you know? But really I do. I really, I really want people to just feel generally more hopeful and connected and peaceful and less alone and excited about beauty.
0: Those are not bad things to want.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for our chat today. This was just delightful.
1: Thank you, Paulie. It was delightful for me too.
0: My thanks to Siobhan Sung. You can learn more about her affiliations and her work at the links in the episode description. Thank you so much for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in southwest Philadelphia in the unceded neighborhood of the Black Bottom community and on the ancestral land of the Lenape Nation, who remain here in the era of the Fourth Crow and fight for official recognition by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to this day. You can find out more about the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania and how you can support the revitalization of their culture by going to lenape-nation.org. Our associate producers are Willa Jaffe and Kea Watkins. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support the show by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find us. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Uncommon Good Pod. Follow us there for closed caption video content and more goodies. We love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on social media or an email at uncommongoodpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good.